All right. Welcome. Welcome to Know Your Roles podcast, where we find those unexpected connections across all your favorite mixed media from film, television, literature, sports, music. We talk all sorts of stuff and we talk to some interesting people in the process. I'm one of your hosts, Dave Kleiman, and this is my co-host, Mr. George Peyton Driscoll Gordon III. Take it away, George. Happy New Year, Dave. Thanks for the send-off. I feel like we haven't done this in a while, so uh, it's good to see your face. This week, we have fame writer, performer, and pun champion, Sam Corbin, and we're going to talk about Sopranos characters and books, but before we get to that, how are you doing? Well, I'm happy to see you as well, George, and I'll give you uh, uh, 500 bucks if you know who Peyton Driscoll is. Um, uh, $500? Yeah, I won't actually give you that, but uh, I should have said a million because you know I don't have that. Is, is, that, is, that, the, uh, is, that, the, uh, is that the guard for uh, the Boston Celtics? <laughs> no, that's Peyton Pritchard. Yeah, okay. You won't know this. I had to. I didn't know this uh, until an hour ago. But uh, Peyton Driscoll was the medical examiner on CSI New York, played by Claire Forlani. So, oh wow, you're welcome. Love me some Claire Forlani. She was in Meet Your Black. <laughs> I love Claire Forlani as well. <laughs> yeah, she was also in Basquiat. <laughs> Uh, well, to answer your question, I'm, I'm doing well. Did I just blow your mind with my Claire Forlani yeah, knowledge? You, you did. I was I was not expecting you to go, to go that deep back <laughs> in the Claire Forlani catalog, <laughs> so I appreciate it. She's also in Mall Rats. <laughs> it's, it's been a while since we've done one of these, folks. You could tell because George has been yeah, saving yeah. up all of uh, his Claire <laughs> Forlani uh, information. We've, we've taken some time off for the holidays, something that people may know already, but if you don't, it's a pro tip which is if you want to buy anything, wait till like January 2nd. <laughs> uh, what I did over the break where we've been gone is I bought myself a winter coat and I bought it on January 2nd. I paid like half price. <laughs> so yeah, take it from a Jew who doesn't pay full price for anything. I can say that. Buy your shit halfway through the season once like the holidays are over and then stuff goes on sale. So yeah, free advice. George, how are you doing, man? What's been going on with you? Doing pretty good. Um, as the listeners may may know that I've been listening to my records in alphabetical order, a la big, from uh, the new season of Sex and the City. More on that later. But I'm in the ends, and I forgot that one of my friends gifted me as a gag gift a new Kids on the Block record. So I was listening to New Kids on the Block at one o'clock in the morning. Please don't don't go, girl, girl. It's a pretty good song. That's been going on, man. <laughs> I. I go to even to have a response to that. Like just the image of you sitting on the couch listening to New Kids on the Block at one in the morning. New Kids on the Block in KOTB. That just, you just made my, <laughs> yeah, wow. That, yeah. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. All right, George, what do you say we go to the bar? Absolutely. Today, what we got on tap is we're going to do a little send off to uh, some real ones that we lost in the past few weeks uh, Betty White, John Madden, and Cindy Poitier. And we're also going to be talking about the 2022 TV site, some things that we're excited about. So, Dave, let's start with that. Uh, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to as far as shows and some series coming up this year? Well, so I know you're going to talk about some of the new shows that are coming out that are exciting. Mm -hmm. I'm actually, some of them I don't know that much about, so I'm excited to hear you talk about it. But uh, there's some shows that are returning that I'm like super keyed up for. One is Better Call Saul, which I believe is like the best thing on television. I, I just think it's just really next level as far as the writing goes, the acting, everything. It's it's really incredible. Bob Odenkirk has long been a favorite of mine. Uh, it's the final season, so you know it's we're gonna we're gonna get up to the Breaking Bad timeline, and uh, it's 
really fucking fascinating how they put it together. Uh, if you're a super nerd for it, like me, I highly recommend the podcast that they do after every episode. It's like, I think it's called like the Breaking Bad Insider podcast and it's, or uh, Better Call Saul, I'm sorry. They did one for Breaking Bad as well. And it's all the people involved. It's Vince Gilligan and like some of the editors and some of the other writers and they have different people on every week. It's amazing. Uh, but anyway, that's one of the shows. The other show, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably know about because it's kind of a big deal is Atlanta is coming back, which I think they've, it's been like two, three years. Uh, I know George, you're looking forward to it as well. Um, I know you, you might have more information about this, but they're doing two seasons the the final two seasons they're filming at once, but I guess they're going to air like one of them and then take a break. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's exciting. And then the other thing I'm looking forward to is something that like, I know you've been on for a while. I just kind of got obsessed with it and ran through like all the seasons, which is Formula One Drive to Survive, which is the show on Netflix about Formula One. And they haven't announced a release date for the next season, but in the the past three seasons have coincided with the new Formula One race season and it comes out the week the week before mm-hmm. or two weeks before and i believe the formula one race season starts at like the third week of march this year so the show for you know and the show will cover the 2021 season obviously um mm-hmm. uh, which we already like if you were following you know what happens but like the drama is it's just incredible i mean if you haven't seen that show formula one drive to survive even if you don't have any interest in racing cars, which I really, I have very small amount of interest. It's fascinating. I mean, the drama that goes on just within the races, but also like with the teams and with the politics of everything, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Anyway, those, those are the things I'm excited about. George, what, what, uh, what do you got on your list? What, uh, what new stuff are you looking for? So uh, I'll be paying attention to those. And in a couple of the shows that like I, uh, that I'm also going to be paying attention to, of course, the new Game of Thrones prequel, which I believe is called House of Dragons, which um, which I think premieres uh, at the end. Oh, I'm sorry, at the beginning of the summer. Um, looking forward to that. As our listeners know, that we are huge fans of The Wire, and whenever these guys from The Wire have a new new thing coming out, we're going to be paying attention to. And uh, David Simon's going to take us back to Baltimore with his new series about uh, crooked cops in Baltimore. So these guys are a couple of these guys who are are actually in jail as of right now. So this is from a um, a book. Uh, I'm sorry, an article from the Baltimore Sun, and uh, David Thomas created a series. It's got a uh, uh, Jamie Hector who played Marlo Stansfield and uh, John Berthenall, uh in the in this season of this of this TV show. It's going to be a mini series, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, there's a TV show that I'm currently watching. There they've aired two episodes, but it's been one of my favorite things on TV in the past like few months. And that's Abbott Elementary. Uh, it's about an underserved elementary school in Philadelphia, and it's shot like the way The Office is shot. It's by Quinta Brunson. It is very, very funny. It is very clear that it, the show has been done by like people who are, who at least were teachers or were related to teachers, because some of the details are, are they just absolutely nail. So I'm, that show is on episode three. I think it's next week, but that show is fantastic. If you get a chance to watch that, it's on Hulu. Finally, the the couple of shows that I like that are coming back, and that's uh, Euphoria. Well, Zendaya, um, this, uh, the first season of Euphoria, even I didn't realize it was, it's not for me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been, it's a really good hang. And The Righteous Shinstones, which is, uh, that, that actually premieres, uh, tonight. I'm sorry, this weekend. This is our episode, episode the 14th. Um, uh, but, uh, that's another show that's coming back. So a lot of cool things coming up and a lot of cool things that I'm looking forward to in 2022. Sweet. Awesome. That's a good, uh, 
TV recap 2022. What uh, what else what what mm-hmm. else we got in the bar, George? We're gonna do a little send off to uh, Betty White, John Madden, and uh, Cindy Porter, and a few others. I'm gonna start with Cindy Porter at first, who uh, who left us actually just this week. He was the uh, was he was 94. I, I was like I knew he was older, but like 94 is a great run, and he's he's in some of the most iconic films of all time, whether it's Lilies of the Field, which he won the Oscar for. Um, uh, guess who's coming to dinner? Which oddly enough is not one of my favorite performances. The age difference has always turned me off, but it is a good movie. Spencer Tracy, Captain Hepburn, which is also, which is also great. So, and in the in the heat of the night, the movie he should have won the Oscar for, which is an incredible film. Uh, Rod Stigler actually won the Oscar for that movie. But uh, these are all movies that are like they will stand the test of time, and uh, he was one of the best to ever do it. And without him, we wouldn't have some of these other people who. We regard him as one of the best to to ever do again. Dave, you want to talk a little bit about Betty White? Because we also lost uh, Betty White as well. Yeah, well, you know, ironic that she, I mean, for lack of a better word, that she died before her 100th birthday. And I think, uh, you know, that was going around that, like, she had impeccable timing, <laughs> you know? And, like, people did this whole interview with her about, like, what it's like to be 100. And then, you know, part... Part of uh, people are like, she was just like, well, oh, fuck it, <laughs> you know, but uh, it is definitely, I, I don't mean to be flip. It is, she is a great one that we've lost, but I think we can all just look back and appreciate her career because this woman has literally been on TV twice as long as I've been alive. I mean, it's amazing to have that kind of longevity and that kind of success and also she was somebody who especially in like the last 10 to 15 years she was so willing to be like she was in on the joke you know what i mean like she knew her existence was funny and she made it funny you know and she would pop up and like she didn't even have to do anything it's just like oh betty white what is betty white doing here you know what i mean on tv shows or or on talk shows and she's just she was always somebody who who made you laugh and made you smile. So yes, she will be missed. Yeah. Made a made history is I think, I think the oldest person to hold to host SNL after a petition circulated that, you know, hundred, I think hundreds of thousands of people signed, but it was, it was like a landslide. She, I, I saw a clip from it around the time she passed and she was just like, I don't know what I'm doing here, but, <laughs> but apparently Facebook wanted me here, which makes me feel like it's a complete waste of time. So Yes, mm-hmm. very, very much going to miss Betty White. She's got some great quotes as far as like her, her husband, her second husband, who, uh, who passed away in the early 80s. She was like, what are you going to do when you get to the, the pearly gates in, uh, into heaven? She was like, uh, was like, hey, thanks for inviting me. And where's Alan? Which is the, the name of her second husband. I thought that was a fun little thing that she said in like the early 80s. There's one other thing I want to talk about. So when she hosted SNL, she, they asked her what, what she was going to do afterwards. She was going to get a, a glass of vodka and two hot dogs. Which I always thought was a fun thing to say too. So Betty White, one of the best to ever do it. That sounds really gross. Yeah. Well. But hey, to each their own. Hey, she she loved hot dogs sure. apparently. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and lastly, we're going to talk a little about Madden. John Madden, uh, as I've mentioned on the call before, the uh, their Madden's like career span is like I guess over decades. And if you are a parent's age, which is like sixties and seventies, you know John Madden as a football coach. If you're uh, my age or a little bit older than uh, uh, Dave's age and uh, Mary Beth's age, you know him as a, the guy who was announcer in a, on, with the past summer all on CBS and NBC announcing football games. And if you are a little bit younger than us, it's like you know him as the guy whose name was on a video game that's 
easily one of the most popular video games the past like 25 years. One of the things that I enjoyed about John Madden was that he made football relatable. So like when you watch some of those old Madden games, a lot of those football, especially the Super Bowls, were not great games. Some of those Cowboys games were not good. Some of those football games from the 80s and 90s were not fun, but he made it fun by saying things like, uh, it was like, that's the mama jug, that's the papa jug, and that's the kid jug, as far as like, uh, what kind of Gatorade are they going to dump on the couch? So, yeah, um, they're showing a shot of like the Gatorade uh, yeah, yeah. containers on the corners. They're like, Mama, and he's he's using the like, telestrator and yeah. drawing on it. <laughs> Incredible. So it's like uh, it's because of that. Is like uh, it's like his voice will it will be iconic. He, he quit football as a as a young guy. As getting back to SNL, he hosted SNL in 1980. So just shows you what, what kind of what kind of talent that we were dealing with. So Dave, how will you remember John Madden? Yeah, well, he was like you know as you mentioned, kind of the back. He was like the voice of our childhood. I mean, I listened to him every week and like, not only was, were you listening to him? You know, I mean, I think the first game came out in what, like 95 or something like that. I I don't Mm -hmm. know, but, but like, you know, so we, we were, I was, I was 10 or 11 and you were like in your very early teens. Um, you know, so like this guy has been ever present. Uh, there's a really great article on the ringer. I don't, I didn't write down the name of the writer, uh, in front, I don't have it in front of me, but we'll we'll include this. Uh, it's the title of it is the genius of John Madden, and it's a lot about how kind of what you were talking about is how he like he really made people he made audiences smarter about football, and he did it in a way that was approach so approachable, like he wasn't pretentious at all, and part and he he never like talked down to people, and he just explained the game so fucking well. Um, you know, and then on top of it, you get all the, the trappings and all of like his colloquialisms and like idiosyncrasies. And like, he's so funny, you know, he's a guy who had millions upon millions of dollars and chose to live in a bus and drive around, (laughs) drive, drive around uh, the country, um, going to football games and shit. Um, and, uh, like being with people, but yeah, you mentioned like some of the sound effects that he used to do, like, he'd be like, bam, or whap. Uh, but one of my favorites is like when a guy, uh, gets hit hard and maybe like their helmet is crooked, he'll be, he would be like, that guy's going to be looking out of his ear hole. (laughs) I always love that. So yes, rest in peace, John Madden, a long, great career. And, uh, yeah, he left a lasting mark real quickly. I just want to mention about Sidney Poitier that, uh, that, uh, you didn't mention that I either forgot or like, didn't know at all. And then when I was looking up, discovered that I forgot he directed a bunch of like weird comedies in like the 80s and 90s, a lot of which were very bad bombs, but like one of which was Stir Crazy, (laughs) the Gene Wilder and and Richard Pryor movie. (laughs) Like I would have never in a million years guessed that Sidney Poitier directed that. (laughs) No, he had like a second career in the 70s in which he was like, not like black exploitation films, but black exploitation films adjacent. Uh, I'm just like, like these big comedies and yeah. stuff. Yeah, comedies, yeah. Very interesting. Well, I think that uh, I think that'll do it for the bar, and we're gonna go ahead and talk to Sam. I had fun like revisiting the Sopranos episode that I like. I've seen all of the Sopranos, but I like picked an episode um in the middle to like get my you know feet wet with the characters again for the assignment, and I was like, damn, this show's so good. Oh, it's so good. It is one that 
you can just pick up an episode here or there and just and it's enjoy. so rich. Yeah. 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 Take you right back. Yeah, because you you had just watched it for the first time fairly recently. Am, am I right? In like 2019, I want to say okay. was the first time um that I watched it. It was like uh, one of those brooding winters, you know, that wasn't the, the one of the recent brooding winters of the pandemic. <laughs> one of your regular brooding winters, you know. Um, so yeah, and I got really into it. I could I could rewatch the whole thing again. It's so good. I probably will. Definitely worth it. So Sam just has a we are a pet friendly podcast. So if you want to great do a shout out to, to your pets, because uh my I have a cat, she's sitting behind me. Her name is Gladys. So Gladys. Yay. Well, this is Tigger. And uh, downstairs, uh, my dog Jojo is sleeping. Um, she went to the dog park today and she is <laughs> tired. My my goal is to tire out the dog because otherwise it's just antagonizing each other all day. <laughs> I know that life. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely get them very tired. Yeah, so, yeah. So you can get work done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've yeah. I I just yeah. like my boyfriend moved in with me um last month and having a dog is like a whole new or yeah, having a dog and a cat in my like same apartment is a whole new thing. I've had Tigger for 17 years, going on 18 this year. So he's been around forever, but Jojo is new in the equation. Yeah. Dogs and cats living together. Anyway, wait, what's your what's your um, dog's name, David? Uh, my dog's name is Wallace, and he is sitting on the rug next to me just watching the door, <laughs> which is something he likes to do. That's a very cute name. Is it after, like, Wallace Shawn? Uh, it's not, but it could be. <laughs> uh, cute. Yeah. I, now I wish it was, now that you've said that, Sam. Well, I'll say that he's the – Wallace Shawn is the – is the person we say when we don't want to say who it, it he's really after. <laughs> Uh-oh. Hmm. No, who a, is a bad Wallace? I'm no, like... not, not a bad Wallace, but he was oh. a, Michael B. Jordan's character from The Wire. Oh, was, okay. Uh, the first season of The Wire. <laughs> All right. Something wrong with <laughs> yeah. that? No, it, no, it's no. just super nerdy. But uh, Yeah, yeah. That's fine. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, cool. Super cool. That's what I mean. That's right. That's right. Super cool. Totally cool. Yeah. Yeah. He thinks his mother is going to walk through the door at any moment, which she's not going to for several oh, hours, cute. But, but he thinks that she might. So he's just going to like cute. lay on the floor. <laughs> That's very cute. So other than, you know, the moves and, uh, and the animals and stuff, what have you been working on lately? Like in this, you know, re like we're, you know, we're, we're kind of, back in our homes a little bit more. Yeah. Um, in the last, oh, you mean like in the last couple months or are we talking like grand scheme pandemic? I truly, it just feels endless. Um, <laughs> but in the last, like in the last mini lockdown that we're back into in the, like, I don't know, couple months, um, I have not been working on that much creatively, which is depressing. Um, <laughs> uh, I've been working on like early stages of a screenplay. Um, so that's fun. I, I really need to like finish it. I mean, I signed up for a writing workshop to finish it because I 
have it in my head that I would do it on my own. But I was like, and I, I, you know, like applied to a writer's residency. I was like, I'll just go to the woods and do it. And then, um, I didn't get that residency. And I was like, maybe I just need someone to like, tell me to do homework every week and finish it. Um, and then I can like do the residency for another draft of it, you know? Um, so there's that. Um, I, you know, start humor pieces and then don't finish them. Um, the main things that I feel like creatively, I like have the, the momentum on and that I like follow through on our vocabulary, um, because it's a, such a great outlet for like my love of language and the kind of experimentation I want to do with like writing and performance. So trying to think of a recent example, like we had a, I mean, in the last couple months right now, I'm working on, um, one for the one segment for the show that we're doing next Friday on the 14th of January, which pivoted to virtual because of the COVID surge. And the theme is, um, newly fashion. So like newly fashion words, words about fashion. And I am particularly fascinated by the phenomenon of people using the letter J to turn anything and everything into, um, an object made of denim. So it's like, you know, we had jorts, we had jeggings, we had janties, and now people are like, oh, did I overcook your jerker? you haven't touched your dinner. And I'm like, how, why is that so good? What, like what linguistically makes that hit mm -hmm. every time? Give me a word, like give me a concept and I will tell you, I bet it works. That's funny. Cause like, uh, one of the things that I've adopted is a J for adjacent and, or mage because <laughs> it's <just> major. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's like smoking a J doesn't, you know, like joint doesn't work because it's already Jay, you know, there are some semantic problems with, with my theories. Cause some things theoretically could already be made of jeans, but it's like, if you're going to watch a juvie, you know, instead of a movie, is that a movie made of denim, <laughs> you know? So that's a thing I'm interested in right now. Was that an answer to your question or like the longest ramble of all time? <laughs> I think it was an answer. Now I'm thinking about like what a Ju what else a juvie could be like you, you yeah. have to be in jeans while watching a movie or like yeah. all the characters yeah. in the movie have to be in jeans. Yes. I mean, as a Canadian, like Canadian tuxedo, I, you know, it's a given. And as a Jew, am I the juvie? I'm like, mate, I'll think on this. Or because there's two of us. Right. We are the juvie. Oh, I don't know. We're, we're getting lost in the sauce. Oh, oh, I see. We're a duo. <laughs> We're Jews, we're a duo, and we're both in jeans. <laughs> this is why we wanted to have you on. So thank, thank you. Thank you for giving us this. Sam, off the top rope. Um, uh, so you mentioned that your show, Vocabulary, comes back January 14th. Uh, would you tell our uh, listeners a little bit about your show? Sure. It's um, it's a wordplay variety show for language lovers. So it's kind of we the five of us who who co-host it met at Punderdome, which is this great long running show that is literally a pun competition that runs like a sports event. And it was conceived by Joe and Fred Firestone, her like actual dad. And um, and it is so like it, it's it's so nerdy, but also has the you know, the experience of being there is also rowdy. So it's, it's just a very fun thing that's been going on for 
I think now a decade, um, started at like a bar called Southpaw. And I remember the story cause I had been doing it was that like Joe had to like beg people to go. And now it like regularly sells, you know, 300 tickets at, at Littlefield. Um, but we all met uh, doing that show. And then because we're all in like media or writers or, you know, journalists, filmmakers, we all are unified by loving language and being fascinated by its different little, you know, um, capillaries. But we just wanted to experiment with a new format that let us do more of the like a bit more than puns, you know, a bit more of the like delving into the kind of, I hate using the word edutainment because I think it's like very sterile, but it's, it's kind of, you, you do get a lot of knowledge from the show. It's like smart and funny. So it's, it's a night of presentations, games, sometimes special guests, sometimes music. Um, and it's all about celebrating language using a different theme each month as our jumping off point. Um, and, and we just get weird with it. I mean, as you know, I'm doing a segment on Janties <laughs> this Friday. Um, one, one, uh, month, the, like, uh, the, the theme was food. And I got to speak to a friend of a friend who's Italian about the, um, suffixes of pasta and what those diminutive, diminutive and, um, augmentative suffixes mean, because I was getting really riled up about like how pasta shapes are like just objects say like, I'm not going to go on her pasta rant. Cause I did that four months ago, but did you know that like spaghetti just means little twine? <laughs> I did not know that. And did you know that fettuccine just means little strips of fabric? But then there's also ways to say like ugly. So like ver and ways to make ugly things cute. So vermicelli means maggot. So you wouldn't want to eat maggots, but they say, do you want to eat cute little maggots? And you're suddenly like, yes. If you put it that way. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's basically just an outlet to even if you're not like a words aficionado or you don't think you like are, you know, an academic when it comes to language. It's a way to just come and be surprised by like um, the intersection of words and comedy uh, in a really fun way by people who, you know, are like competitively decorated <laughs> at, the, at the form. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Punderdome and, and mm -hmm. the fact that you, I don't know if you mentioned, but I will mention that you are a multi-time champion of many, many, many times champion. Yes. Um, I think we were looking it up. It's something like in the thirties. Yeah. I think it's like 37 now. I really, I, I am retired, but go ahead. That's, what's your question? <laughs> that's, in, that's incredible. Uh, but I love, but even beyond, beyond Punderdome. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, uh, and I would love for you to like, take us into the world of competitive puns sure. because it's fascinating to me. And I'll, like, so if there was like a reality, like a, like a, a sports style docu-series on like the competitive pun world. Like, what are we looking at here? Is there like backbiting and like rivalries and stuff? Like what's, what's going on there? Okay. Maybe I 
have like I've trash talked one of my my essential rivals, who's also one of the co-hosts of Vocabulary, Jersey Gwizdowski. I will like angrily text him uh, from the stage when he's performing. I'll be like, uh, you used my pun, coward <laughs> or like lose idiot, you know, because <laughs> I'm just like I'm like, you know, I, I do have the competitive spirit in me um, and it's funny you mentioned the like subculture of competitive punning because uh, Joe Berkowitz, who is a journalist for Fast Company, um, wrote a book called Away With Words, A-W-A-Y. Uh, and it's all about the world of competitive punning. Uh, many of us in that were featured in that book, maybe all five of us. And it it he went from like writer's rooms to like the, you know, study of a, a neurological department at a university to figure out how humor worked to um, Punderdome to also O. Henry in Austin, Texas, which is known as the world championship of competitive punning mainly because no one has said otherwise. And I'm not saying that to dig at Oh Henry. I mean, it's amazing. And people do come from like the States and Canada and maybe in some cases um, the UK. It's just, I want to say that like so far competitive punning is a very like uh, English dominated, I guess, or our, our understanding of it is very limited to like it's an American thing or a, a North America, you know, this continent thing. Um, and I'm super curious about like, if there's a culture of competitive punning in other places that don't speak English, cause that would be awesome. Um, there is a UK pun off. I've done, uh, that virtually once, um, in a spinoff show. And I think there is like a bit of rivalry, but not really. No one's like, the the heavyweight champion that everyone's trying to take down or anything like that. It's more like camaraderie with a genuine appreciation for good wordplay, a genuine like, I think the people who do it regularly really boost each other up and also like to uh, whisper to each other while things are going on. If like there's a good, a bad one, you know, or like a, ah, it's not really a pun or whatever. So I think it spawns a lot of a lot of culture. Yeah, I wrote here as a joke that you being a multi-time champion, and this is actually kind of works with our podcast. You are the Serena Williams of of, of pun pun champions. So we just kind of read. I'm I'm using that. <laughs> yeah, you should. You you winning it so many times. Are there some champions that are or championships that you've won that you regard higher than others? Are they all special in in, in each way? Um. I would say that I regard them, I regard them all pretty much the same. I mean, I, I've won, um, a couple like great prizes from Punderdome specifically, um, that I still have to this day, like a set of steak knives that I won, which is like a Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross joke, but I won a set of knives, um, in like 2015 that I still use. Um, I've won some like terrible dollar store costumes that have made their way to like parties and, and beach house getaways for friends. Um, I think the proudest moments for me have been when it, it's like, um, the MVP award that I won at O. Henry in Austin when I was kind of voted the like, it, it was, I placed silver in the um, prepped uh, punniest of show routine, which is where you get to like prep a two minute routine and then deliver it. And it was all about 
the absence of women in late night comedy. And that was a really proud moment for me because I got to make a statement using puns in a way that I think the older white crowd was not as used to hearing. Um, they definitely heard some like political um, punologues from friends from the East Coast, I think, who had come before. But I loved getting to put my my two cents out there. And when I was voted like MVP, I think that that really gave me that sense of belonging that I don't necessarily get from like traditional comedy institutions um, in my field. Puns is such a very specific form of humor and form of writing. What drew you to that? Um, I think I started, you know, <laughs> I think it started as a like half joke ascended into something pseudo serious. I'm using qualifiers at every turn and then has like crested that and gone into something um, altogether new. And I mean, it started with like my dad, you know, making puns at the dinner table. And I I loved just like getting to bring home that story that I was doing punning uh, at this like cool thing in Brooklyn and becoming a minor celebrity doing it. And um, then I had taken this like wit and wordplay class in college that really influenced me. So it was allowing me to explore like a lot of the playwriting I was doing and the theater I wanted to perform in. I was like trying to explore this a lot of wordplay in my in my writing. So it was a great um, comedy version of the thing I was trying to do in my like serious dramatic writing um, because I started out in theater after college. And now I think because I've realized that puns are not, for me, it's not like a a be all end all. It's not really a means to an end necessarily, but I do still think that puns can be radical and political. And I definitely still love making them in the right contexts, but uh, I think anyone who like reads my writing, I know you had Lauren, um, Lauren Greenhall on like a previous episode and she's one of my very, very frequent collaborators. She's actually directed some pun videos of mine. She would say like that, that my wordplay comes out in my writing, but it's not the only driver of the thing I'm trying to do. It's just kind of like the, the duality of language, if this makes sense, the like double entendre is like the thing that I keep trying to explore. It's like that things are open to interpretation, the ways that people say them and those layers of meaning um, that you can peel back. That's what I love about puns that I think I'm interested in, um, in my comedy writing. Have you ever considered being a rapper? <laughs> uh, uh, because, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> because like, you're so quick. Like I was saying to George and Mary Best before we got on this call that like, you know, pun writing puns. I, I feel like nine out of ten puns are bad. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of like it's it's an it's an easy lane for like uh like dad dad mm-hmm. humor. You know, mm-hmm. um, but like to be good at them is such a special like it's very very impressive. <laughs> and just to just to be those videos where you're just like railing off uh so many so fast. First, are you are are you freestyling those or are you, you writing those like a little bit, right? Like, yeah. I mean, it doesn't make it any less impressive at all, but like, I, I am, I'm, I'm joking when I'm asking you to consider being a rapper, but to be perfectly honest with you, your, your rhyme scheme is better than 
a lot of them that are making music today. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I rapped to get elected to like my student council uh, in high school, if that <laughs> counts. But it was like to the tune of, um, remember Lazy Sunday, what that Andy Samberg, yes. you know, that, yes. like I use that. Um, and uh, I, I have like immense respect for rappers that have great wordplay. I do not think I could ever do what they do because it blends this like the rhythm and flow is something I love. I think like I have a really good handle on cadence in like prose, I think. And I, that's what I love in writing. I don't know if I would have it in, um, in like quick flow, but to answer your question, I do write those monologues in advance. I am pretty meticulous if I can be about word choice throughout. I like go over them to make sure that everything coming out of my mouth can go that quickly. And I like practice. And if there's like a natural word that's coming out or I'm, I'm like slipping up over a moment, I will change the word. Um, if there are puns, I, 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 I'm pretty good about picking puns. Like once I've chosen and by picking, I mean, writing, I mean, like if I've written one and I don't like how it sounds or it seems too cheap or whatever, I'll eventually swap it out. Sometimes for the sake of like the glossary I'm given, if there's a theme and it's like, well, I'm not going to find any other words. I'll be like, fine. I got to get, I got to put one C pun in there to get like the A pluses or whatever. Um, but yeah, I do, I do write them. And then it's just a matter of practicing the performance. Cause there is that aspect, like you said, of, of really getting it in the delivery. Totally. I, the Hanukkah one, I, I really appreciated that a lot. And yeah. The popular one. So your background is in theater and you're from Canada. So it was like, well, how was the transition from, I guess, moving to New York and then doing all these other things that you ended up doing? Um, it's been a journey, you know, just like the bachelor, it is such a journey. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, uh, have, I, it's funny. I, so, Okay, I'm going to tell a story that is really silly. My um, my boyfriend and I uh, were uh, on a drive recently, and we were doing that New York Times like 36 questions to like fall in love or whatever. Um, which it's too late, like it's fine. We're 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 there, but we were just answering the questions because we had a long car ride. Um, and one of them was like, what's your greatest accomplishment? And uh, I I didn't expect to have this answer. But what I answered was that I have realized that the fact that I have had like so many things um, in my career that it's not really like one thing um, still, still feels like or does feel like my greatest accomplishment. And that's just um, a kind of context because since I moved from Toronto to New York, I think I had in my mind that it would be like a straight track to pursuing drama, pursuing theater, and then like the rest would just kind of cascade. I didn't know if it was Broadway. I just figured it would be, it would all whatever, figure itself out. But from the moment that I got placed at NYU into like the experimental theater wing, instead of the one that all the famous people came out of, I was like, what the fuck? Like, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to be like the Alec Baldwin protege. Like I'm, I'm going to just fade into obscurity and experimental theater. I've never even heard of this. Um, and instead that kind of kicked off this really like 
individualized path where I got out of that. I like, you know, started a theater company because I thought we're going to, we're going to make downtown theater and like change the world. Then I instead, that one dissolved, joined another downtown theater group, got into like Brooklyn blogging, Brooklyn blogging took over my life. I like fell in love with the blog crew who are still my, some of my best friends today that kicked me into digital media in digital media. I like found a kind of journalism niche. I found that like the competitive punning world kind of intersects with some media people and also comedy people. I tried stand up. I like was trying to blend stand up and comedy. Um, I or sorry, stand up and theater. So I found like those spaces that kind of do both like ours Nova, you know, and there are so many people on screen now who are like, playing with that too. So it kind of led me to follow all these different faces and kept, keep trying to like redefine what I was doing. And all of that has been against the backdrop of not being a citizen. So it's like the most first world sob story ever, because whatever, it's fine. I'm Canadian. I'm not in financial straits. Like I, I, I will be fine, but, um, being an alien of extraordinary ability means that your presence here in the States is conditional on like being famous and successful according to the U S government. So all of the things I do have to have a certain amount of hustle that can be judged on paper. And that is uh, a lot to uh, deal with uh, mentally. (laughs) On the bright side, going back to Canada probably wouldn't be the worst thing ever. You know, it's looking better and better. I, I, yeah. Looks good to me. Looks good from here. (laughs) I think I took a trip to Montreal recently. And when I had the bagels, I was like, all right, I get, I, I remember I could do this here. (laughs) Yeah. I I understand that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd love to ask you about one of your other projects, uh, that, that you were involved in, Mm -hmm. which was the, the theater reconstruction ensemble. I watched an, an interview with you and, uh, your partner on that. And it just sounded like a very interesting project. I'd love for you to take us through that. So TRE was the theater company I was involved with for a solid, like, I want to say six years or seven years. Um, I did uh, a few shows with them and John Kersnowski was the artistic director. The company has ended for now, you know, it, um, he put out this very, you know, thoughtful statement about how theater companies exist with like a mission statement in mind. And I think it's easy, you know, for companies to get caught in like, we're always guided by our mission, but what happens if you like accomplish that mission? And so he wrote that he felt like they'd accomplished that mission, which I thought was a very interesting and good way to say, let's put this to bed for now. Um, But I got involved with them because I saw a play that they put on in college. I was so moved because it was to to go back to like the punning thing it was like the meta layer that i experience in language on stage it was like oh this is doing two things at once it's theater but it's also not theater or it's like you know the fourth wall was gone no <laughs> um but it was it was just so well achieved i think that one was the it was it was a doll's house i think that that production and the um one of the performers in it john riddleberger happened to be teaching one of our college classes and i basically did the thing where i was like can i become the company's intern 
Um, and I moved up from intern to, you know, performer, uh, and then, um, got to, because, because it's like experimental, I got to help devise some of the work, script some of the work in, in so many words. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a wonderful experience. It's surreal to get to make the theater that you are struck by. Um, and I think, I mean, I'm really curious on, on your take as, as comedians, like it's, I think it's just really interesting when you go behind the green curtain, like in the wizard of Oz and you are suddenly the one pulling all of the levers to make the magic happen. It's like, what, what do you do with that feeling? It's, it's the make or break moment where you realize, do you love doing it? Do you love being the one to make it happen? Or do you really just want to watch? And that's when you make the decision about where you go next. Wow. <laughs> I was not expecting that. It was, that was tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a comedian. I'm, oh. I'm a writer and director. So I, <laughs> be, because I just want to be behind the camera. <laughs> uh, this, this is as far as I'll go for mm-hmm. performing, mm-hmm. but, but George, uh, George loves to get on stage and tell jokes. <laughs> kind of, right? I mean, you still do that, right? I do. I don't know if I'd call what I do jokes. <laughs> More like a mental illness. No. <laughs> well, we all have that. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, like, yeah, art, art, you're an artist, right? Like, you I'm medicated, baby. <laughs> yeah, no do you find yourself uh, doing puns uh, to just random people and not knowing that you're doing it because I I am socially adjusted so the answer is no um I will say that's what Twitter's for it's a good outlet for if something comes to mind and I'm like where does it go you know I'll just be like tweet it. <laughs> yeah. do you have to catch yourself when you're writing other stuff of like oh don't put any puns in here <laughs> it depends I mean I'm a copywriter um for money so um which like does make use of that that comedic impulse and the and the pun talent which is why it's legally allowed on my visa in case the FBI is listening no um <laughs> <laughs> but uh they definitely yeah, are <laughs> they love podcasts um <laughs> um but some like uh, puns are encouraged with the brand I work at so that's great um but in in other things yeah I think like sometimes a pun will come up and it's like I just have to think is the character saying this like or am I saying it um, and I'm, I'm actually really trying to work on that and trying to learn. And I know that that's going to be a challenge with the screenplay that I'm writing because, um, differentiating characters and not just making them all like a little bit me, um, in their brains is, is hard for me. Um, as a person who, who thinks so much with like language words, it's, I, I am not a, um, I'm not a skilled, like, um, I can't put people into little character boxes and then just like make them just collide with the walls. I always just want to like let them out and be like, come here, <laughs> let's play catch, you know? <laughs> um, so I don't know what that analogy was. It was very strange. I've created little people and let them play catch with me in little boxes. Anyway. I mean, it makes as much sense as anything that George and I would say to describe our work. <laughs> so yeah, great. So you're all good. Um, no, but I, I get you like, you know, I think it's really interesting, like the, the fascination with language and like, I think you found a great way to continue to use it in the copywriting, you know, because that seems like that's like 
exactly a great outlet for it. And now you're making money off of it. Sometimes, but you know, when it's like get free, get five free meals with offer code savory one, it's like, well, <laughs> did my talents help with this or, and, and that was a real, um, that was definitely, I remember the like uh, disillusionment of the first day that I didn't get to like use my brain. And I wrote to my manager and I was like, is that okay? And she's like, no, that's part of the job. Sometimes you're just supposed to write, get five free meals. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. But then it spurs you to like for all your other stuff, you know? So it's like, it's yes. like, we, I think that a lot of people, myself included, have those kind of disillusionments like early on, you know, but then you kind of realize like, oh, this is how you have a career. This is how you maintain it. Like you don't just become super famous over fucking Nate, like you or one thing doesn't just hit and like catapult you into a, a new tax bracket, you know, like you have to fucking, <laughs> you know, you have to put, you have to do work, you have to work, you know? And yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But I, you know, I think we all struggle with that kind of stuff of like anything we do, we want it to be like special, you know, yeah. or care about it at least. Totally. Well, Sam, we brought you on the Know Your Rose podcast for a reason. And uh, aside from like all these great stories that you have for us, we do play a game on our podcast and on our podcast and on your episode, we're talking about Sopranos characters and books. So, so before we get into a game, why don't you give us a little We'll run down on what you think about Sopranos because you mentioned earlier that you recently watched it for the very first time. So tell us about your love of the Sopranos before we get into our game. Sure. Um, I watched it in like the winter of 2019, I think, uh, for the first time, which is relatively recent. And it was one of those examples of watching legacy television that is like truly worth it. You know, I, I will say to maybe David's chagrin, I could not really get into the wire. I tried. Um, I like I really gave it a season, but I couldn't do it. But The Sopranos just like ate me up like it. Every season was just more and more. I, I don't know what it is. It's just like I, I wish I had the words for it. The writing is so good and it's so well paced and like in depth. Nothing, nothing doesn't take its time. There's no like throwaway you know, plot lines. I really like um, that about it. Uh, it just goes so many places and the characters are so memorable. Like I didn't stop thinking about it for months afterwards. And then watching an episode yesterday, just to get back into it, I was like shifting through all the um, seasons on HBO to like pick one. I was like, oh my God, I remember every single season so richly. I kept not not um, being able to believe that like that event that I was looking at in an episode description had happened so early on. But it's because they pack so much good juice into just six seasons. Mm -hmm. That series did not go on too long. It went on the right amount. Um, yeah is that is that what you're looking for in terms of thoughts? That's that's uh, absolutely. Absolutely. How'd you feel about it? How does everyone feel about uh, it? I, I, I love that. It's uh, it's one of those things where like uh, every couple of years, I'll just rewatch it just for shits and giggles and I'll find something new to like about it. And me, who's like, uh, whose humor is, uh, tends to be a little, <laughs> little off. I forget how funny some of the episodes are. Some of the, some of the scenes like, uh, like for me, like, uh, 
Pine Barrens is the episode that people think of is that's that's probably one of the better episodes. But for me, it's not because of what happens. I just love the scene where at the end where uh, Polly's got mayonnaise on his face and Tony just goes, mayonnaise, mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> I just like when when, you know, they're they find this bounty of like condiment packages, uh, which is the only thing they eat. And he's like, he he's like, is that ketchup? He's like, mix it with the relish. <laughs> um I, I watched the, the episode I ended up watching was like season two, episode one. And I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's um who is Silvio doing an impression of the Godfather from when it like first came out, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, as soon as I try to get out, they pull me back in. Yeah. <laughs> They're all like dying. because, And then, you know, the therapist who isn't Dr. Melfi like won't see him because she just saw Analyze This. Yeah. And to your point, um, you know, you you were talking about the wire. I think the, it's a, it's a good comparison because like the wire is something that regardless of how you feel about it, it, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot. There's just a lot there. It's a lot to unpack. And like, there's a lot to unpack in Sopranos, but as we were talking about before we started, like, you can put on any episode at any time, as long as like, you know, the plot and you'll be right in. And, and it's, there's no, it takes no effort whatsoever. And the entertainment value is like, you know, and the writing, the, 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 like the completeness of the writing is incredible. I mean, this, you know, the things that are set up in season one that don't get, you know, don't come to fruition until season six. Like that's, that's some next level shit. Mm-hmm. So Sam here at the Know Your Roles podcast, what we do is we take two things that seemingly have nothing to do with each other. We try to make comparisons to them. And so for your episode, we are doing Sopranos characters and books. We each do five. I go first, Dave goes second. And as uh, as our esteemed guests, you go, we'll go third. Uh, my first uh, character is Richie April. Um, uh, we got introduced in uh, season two. Uh, Richie April is kind of a kind of a nasty little figure, but he's a uh, very, very petty. He sees himself as the guy. Unfortunately, he is not the guy. <laughs> and when he comes out of prison, he's got this line to Tony. He's like, uh, what is mine is not yours to give me. Now, the book that I'm going to compare it to is very specific. And there's like it has to do with the, the writer. Well, not really the writer guy. The guy also in the band was also petty. And the book I'm going to compare it to is uh, Remain in Love, which is written by Chris France, who is the drummer of the Talking Heads, one of my favorite bands of all time. Unfortunately, he's not the guy. There's another guy in that band who is the guy, and that's David Burns. So Richard April is the remain in love of books. Dave. Definitely not the guy, Richie. Um, <laughs> not the guy. Um, all right. My first character is another character that only lasted uh, a season. Sorry, spoiler alert. But for me, one of my favorite characters of all time, and that's Tony Blundetto which is Steve Buscemi's character, who is Tony's cousin. I believe season six, it's revealed that he did a bid for Tony. You know, he took the fall. It's always kind of fuck with Tony. And uh, Steve Buscemi's character, like, kind of holds it over him a little bit. But Steve Buscemi's character is also, he's, like, weird and and funny, you know, and he's awkward compared to the other, like, very outwardly bullshit machismo that they project. He is, like, a very different energy. And like I said, we learn a little bit more about Tony's family history from him and, 
Tony doesn't, you know, Tony doesn't want to give him up. That's the whole plot line of the season. Like Tony has to go and find him and all this stuff. And that's why as a book, he is me talk pretty one day by David Sedaris. Also awkward, funny, and a lot of uh, family entanglements. And also a very fun quick fact is, well, not super fun, but uh, there was a movie of me talk pretty one day that was supposed to happen that David Sedaris was a producer on and he canceled it because he was concerned with how it would affect his family. And so, yeah, so all those family uh, intertwine is why uh, Tony Blundetto is me talk pretty one day. Okay. So um, uh, my first character is one of, I would say the cult favorites of the series. It is, and he lasts a, a long time, but not, the whole time. And that's Christopher Moltisanti. Um, and so he, as a character is like a book that makes you increasingly furious while reading, but that you find irresistible, even as it spirals to a deeply disappointing close. And yet you are sad it's over, even uh, though you're also relieved. And so Christopher Moltisanti is the idiot by Elif Batuman. Um, he is the idiot of books, also appropriately titled, <laughs> I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just a dummy. Just a, a big dummy. A, a big dummy. Yeah. <laughs> George. Sam, your answer was so good on the first one. I'm thinking you should do this from time to time with us. Just just spitball. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right. So my next uh character on the show is actually one of my favorite on the show, but her character arc is pretty tragic, and that is Adriana. Laserva, whether she's a victim of abuse from the aforementioned Christopher Maltesanti or the FBI or the stomach issues that she has towards the end of the series. I just feel like she's just, uh, just everything that's happening to her just always, just always just seems bad. Now, the book I'm going to compare her to does have a happier ending, but the events leading up to the end of that book are pretty tragic. It's a book that I read in the late 90s, early 2000s. So Adriana Laserva is the perks of being a wallflower of books. Dave. Nice. Uh, I'm realizing as people are, are going in the around uh, like every character, we could be like, oh, it's tragic. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a tragic mm-hmm. character. Um, but uh, my next character is one of my favorites, not only in the Sopranos, but favorite characters in television. And that's Janice, Janice Soprano <laughs> played by Ada Taturo. Um she is incredible. She steals almost every scene she's in and like her brand, her character's brand of like evilness, you know, like her manipulation and like, like emotional blackmail is like such is so well written and performed that like, she's om- to me, she's almost as scary as Tony is, you know, uh, because she's capable as we, you mentioned Richie April earlier, she's capable of like, of handling things uh, for herself. And also, you know, she makes people a little uncomfortable and she probably needs some psychiatric help and maybe some medication, which is why as a book, she's one flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> um, wonderful, wonderfully entertaining book. Great read. Also makes you quite a bit uncomfortable. And uh yeah, they, yeah, 
medication and, and uh, institutionalization, maybe not a great thing, but Janice, probably someone who would be qualified for that. So, so um, interesting that you mentioned that everyone has deeply tragic arcs. The next character I would like to speak about does not, in my opinion, have a tragic arc. Um, and that is Polly Gualtieri, one of my favorite characters on the show. Um, I would say he is actually like a book that makes you feel good whenever you read it um, because it's really simple and almost kind of whimsical. And, you know, it takes you on a nice drive with a lot of action along the way, but it's nothing too complicated. And it has this really nice, happy ending. And that is why Polly Gualtieri, for me, is the Phantom Tollbooth by Norton Jester of books. Awesome. <laughs> That's, yeah, so the imagery there is, is great. <laughs> I'm going to ride that train a little bit, too, because not every character on this show is tragic. And I'm going to talk about a character who I enjoy only stripped of the fact he's just silly. And he doesn't know he's silly until later on in the show. And I'm talking about Carmine Lupertasi Jr., one of my favorite characters because he says everything wrong. Uh, Johnny Sack called him the guy who should be out uh, fixing wet t-shirt contests. It shows you how so it is. <laughs> and it was like later on the season, he started, or later on the show, he starts to realize it's like, oh, wait a second, maybe I'm not that smart. So being that he is very silly, I'm going to call him a silly book, which is The Cat in the Hat by Dr. Seuss. Kamar Lubitasi <laughs> is the cat in the hat of, of, of books. Dave. Awesome. Um, I take it back. There are plenty of characters without tragic arcs. Um, and I'm going to choose the one that you just did, which is Pauly, uh, Pauly Walnuts. And to me, he's like one of the most unintentionally funny characters of all time. Even when he's trying to be funny, he's not funny for the reasons he thinks he's funny, you know, and, and uh, he's kind of delusional. And he is a person who belongs in a book written by Elmore Leonard, which is why I chose Swag by Elmore Leonard for him, which is one of the funniest like crime books you will ever read. I know a lot of his other ones are the ones that are in the, the popular canon, but I highly recommend Swag. Very hysterical and uh, worthwhile read, just like every time Polly is on, I'm laughing. <laughs> All right. All right. Um my next uh, character is, I, I'm realizing, do I know her first name? Um, Dr. Melfi? What is her first name? Jennifer. Jennifer. Dr. Jennifer Melfi. All right. So she is, to me, she is a book that has this really clean exterior and um, pristine reputation. So at first you assume that you just have to like it, no matter what you think of it, you have to like it. But once you personally read it, you realize it's actually really down to earth and flawed and accessible, and you're allowed to have opinions about it, but it is really good. And that is why Dr. Jennifer Melfi is the collected works of William Shakespeare. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. Very, you know, she's, she's above, she's aloof, uh, you know, to the other characters because she's bringing some kind of an intellectual. Yeah. But she's also for the people, you know, but like yes. deep down she, she's for the people. Yeah. <laughs> George. All right. So uh, my next uh, Sopranos character, it just happens to be my favorite Sopranos character. And he's my favorite for two reasons. One He's a character who absolutely loves his wife. 
and would start a war, it need be to defend her honor. And two, this character has got to be the sharpest dresser on the show. And the character I'm talking about is Johnny Sack. That camel coat that he wears in like three, four, and five, just unbelievable. So the book that I'm going to compare him to is, in essence, just a section of the book. I'm going to compare him to Lizzie Cooperman's Meet Me in the Bathroom. And uh, in essence, just talking about Interpol, also guys who were very fashion forward. So he is, Johnny Sack is the Meet Me in the Bathroom, in particular, the Interpol section of that book. Dave. <laughs> All right. Um, my next one is super short and sweet. It's Carmela Soprano. And honestly, the only thing I have written on this card is she's been through a lot. She'd been through a lot. So she's Jane Eyre. She's Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Been through a lot. <laughs> and still ticking. But also classic, a classic, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And the the drama. Mm-hmm. Oh, the drama. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. All right. Uh, all right. You know him. You love him. He chases ducks. Folks, the next one I'm talking about is, of course, Tony Soprano. Okay. This man is full of symbolism. He has many layers of interpretation to him. He is both hard-edged and soft at the same time. And it's a challenge to crack his first 100 pages, but worth every minute of investment because once you do, it just completely unfolds and you just finally get it. And that is why Tony Soprano is the 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel (laughs) Garcia Marquez of books. That's incredible. Bravo. I was trying so hard to work 100 Years Solitude into somebody's character, and I just, like, gave up. (laughs) So so I I appreciate it. I I think it's him. I think he is. Totally. George. All right. So... uh... My last character, uh, we get to see him first, I think, in season five. And in season six, there's a whole big character. And you know from the moment you're introduced to him until the very end of the, the his time on the show, he was just not going to make it to the end. Uh, Phil Leotardo, whether it was either going to be dead or back in prison or whatever, he was just not going to make it, which is why he is Mark Bowman's Killing Pablo, the hunt for the world's gangster of books you know you knew that pablo escobar was not going to make the end just like billy otardo yeah uh last death i believe of the series yep philly otardo important distinction (laughs) uh anyway um my last one i'm going to go with the character that's already that has already been mentioned but he i if i if you're going to put a gun to my head he is my favorite character and because he makes me laugh he makes me cry he infuriates me and that's christopher and christopher what a long epic journey he had in the show there's so many ups and downs it looks like it's going to go one way for him and then it goes the other way and He's betrayed by the people that love him, that he loves the most, and he doesn't know how to deal with with his emotions. Also, he there's a plot line where he writes a movie, and it's a ridiculous horror movie that's not that great. Um, but that's the idea, which is why, as a book, he's the Count of Monte Cristo, one of my favorite books of all time. It go, it's the character is infuriating in many ways, but also you're like invested in the journey, and it's a super fucking epic, epic journey and uh 
yeah, he gets betrayed a lot. And all the movie versions are bad, really bad. <laughs> so yeah, they're like the movie, the movie Count of Monte Cristos are like the cleavers of uh adapta- adaptations. <laughs> um so yeah, that's that's my last one. All right. And I will close it out with one that is short but sweet. Um, not a short but sweet character. She lasted the entire series. That's Meadow Soprano. Um, and okay, so <laughs> This one, I just have one line for it. Meadow Soprano is just a really smart textbook that's also bitchy. And that is why she is Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay, also aptly titled for her character. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think uh, you killed it, Sam. Thank you so much. And uh, we did it. I feel good about that. George? I do too. Yeah, that was, that was, I always like to think this is like, this is a good hang. Sam, you're you're a great hang. Oh, thanks. Likewise. Yeah. Fun way to spend a Sunday. I feel like Sopranos is one that we've been holding on to for a really long time. And so thank you so much. You did not disappoint at all. This was awesome. Oh, I'm honored. <laughs> That's awesome. So Sam, aside from uh, January 14th vocabulary, um, uh, what else, where else can we find you? What else you got going on? Let's see. Um, well, you can find my writing. Uh, I, I feel like... <laughs> As far as like new bylines, things that are coming up or things that I can say I published recently, I'm not sure. But you can definitely look me up in The New Yorker. Definitely find me um, out and about on the Internet by looking up my name and things will pop up. A country musician named Sam Corbin uh, will pop up. Just delete. (laughs) Just just downvote his SEO if you can. Um, and, uh, let's see what else have I got going on? Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm hoping I can finish the screenplay and have something to say about it in, uh, in, you know, the late spring. Um, but other than that, it's just monthly vocabularies right now. Um, and hopefully getting back into live performance or writing, um, more things when the uh, case of the Januaries lifts. <laughs> uh, you know, let's let's call it that for now. Yeah. And and more denim puns. Oh yeah, oh yeah, more okay. denim puns. Um, more denim, more than you've ever heard. I'm sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's why she's a champion, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> The bar is low. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's what we're about here on this podcast. We're about setting the bar very low so we can barely exceed it. Yay. Woo. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. Thank we really you. appreciate your time. Totally. Yay. Totally. You were, you were a joy as always. Thanks. Um, all right. Well, I guess I will sign off and see y'all later. Bye. All right. That was great. Thank you so much to Sam Corbin. Follow her work at www.corbinfever.com and check out her social media at Ahoy Samantha. Don't miss out on her monthly show, Vocabulary at Caveat and NYC. You can follow them on social media at Vocabulary. Their next show is actually tonight, January 14th. Yeah, boy, puns, uh, the type of quickness and like agil- mental agility that it takes to do that. Uh, I don't have it. <laughs> so yeah, much respect. Um, 
All right. Now we're going to go ahead into last call where we talk about some things we're looking forward to and what we got coming up on the horizon. George, what do you got for us? Um, uh, Dave, uh, producer Mary Beth, I have got a one quick question. It was like, what is the word that is that you use when you to describe the not the last episode of the show, but the second to last episode? The the penultimate. 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 Yes. penultimate. Mm-hmm. Great word. So there's a TV show that I've been watching, the penultimate episode and the final episode are the next few weeks. The show called Yellow Jackets, which I've been thoroughly enjoying on Showtime. If you listeners, if you don't know the show, it's about a a high school uh, uh, girls soccer teams. Uh, they're traveling uh, west from New Jersey and they're playing crotches in the woods. And they go to great lengths to survive. And I am thoroughly enjoying it. It's uh, Mel Yulinski, um a few like Christina Ricci. It's it's awesome. It's got great '90s music. Like when was the last time you heard uh, "Mother Mother" by Tracy Bonham? <laughs> this show has it. So the penultimate episode of uh, Yellow Jackets is this weekend, and the finale is going to be January 16th, and it's been it's been awesome so far. And uh, of course, um, uh, one of my favorite basketball players of all time. He returns January. Uh, I think it's uh, January 7th. Yes, yeah, January 7th. Um, that's Clay Thompson. January the return 9th. of Clay Thompson. 9th. January 9th, January 9th. He hasn't played a basketball game in 914 days. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him. It's damn near uh, almost three years, but it, it, people have always said he's the coolest guy to ever play. And uh, so everybody is excited for him from Draymond Green to Coach Steve Kerr. And I think it's going to be one hell of a watch to watch him play basketball. Dave, what about you? Uh, honestly, I'm going to piggyback off that. And the things I'm excited for are basketball. <laughs> I'm watching a lot of basketball these days. And Clay Thompson's return tonight is fucking thrilling. I mean, this is one of the greatest players who's ever played. And he's about to join a team that has the best record in the league. <laughs> um, now, again, he's coming back from serious injury. He hasn't played in a long time. I'm sure there's going to be some rust. But he looks fucking awesome in the warm-ups. Uh, yeah, very exciting. I'm also really excited. I've refrained from talking about this for a while because I also am from a city that won a bunch of championships when I was a kid. So we don't uh, try not to get too hyped about the regular season. <laughs> but uh, I'm hyped about the Bulls because for the first time in years, I can say that this is a unbelievably fun team to watch. Uh, I don't know what their ceiling is. I don't know how good they can be, but they're fucking thrilled. They're awesome, man. And if you like basketball at all, I would highly recommend watching some Bulls games because, like I said, they're just r- unbelievably entertaining. They're 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 not up at the Warriors level as far as entertaining goes because uh, the Warriors are maybe the most entertaining basketball team that's ever played, but they're they're getting there. They're like, I mean, they're throwing alley oops. They're throwing you know, full court outlet passes, crazy skill level stuff. Um, and yeah, they're leading the East. So go Bulls. That's all I got. All right. Now we're going to go ahead and check in with our favorite regular producer, Mary Bess for MB's booth. What do you got for us, MB? Thanks, Dave. Thanks, guys. And happy new year to you. Very happy to be back in the booth, talking with two of my favorite guys. 
so this week, you know, I typically give some good news and I typically give some bad news. We're, we're keeping it nice and rounded in the worldview. Um, but since it's the first episode, I just want to talk about some good news, something that's made me really happy over the last month. And that has been watching Amy Schneider on Jeopardy, a software engineering manager who is now the fourth contestant and the first woman in history of Jeopardy to surpass $1 million in her winning streak. Uh, she's just hit 28 games this past Friday. Um, we're recording this on Sunday, January 9th. And I, for one, spent most of my holiday with my family watching Jeopardy <laughs> every night and just getting really, really excited for this incredible woman who is breaking barriers left and right, um, who is just a joy to watch and seems like just a really lovely, interesting human being. And the fact that she's also a trans woman is incredibly uh, powerful and important. And I just, I'm a huge fan and it's been a really lovely experience watching her soar in this environment. Um, so that is some good news that I want to bring. If you haven't had a chance to watch her on Jeopardy and watch this winning streak, um, I recommend tuning in. Um, it's a really, really fun thing to be following. And I personally have enjoyed it. Have you guys watched any of the Jeopardy episodes over the last few months? I've seen a couple of her episodes. I haven't seen them all, but she's great. And I mean, it's been well documented on the show how much I love Jeopardy. And like those winning streaks are awesome because you just like you tuning in every show and be like, are they going to do it? And then like, you know, a lot of them when they're so good, I mean, like by the first round, they're already it's already like, oh, the, their streak's going to continue. <laughs> I understand why they're on a streak. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's been awesome. She's been great. Looking forward to that continuing. Well, that that is the news that I have in the booth today. And, uh, yeah, again, it's such a treat to be back. And happy 2022, everybody. Hope everybody's doing well. Thank you so much, MB. Always uh, brightening the path for us here. All right. Now George is going to go ahead and tell us what we got going on on our next show when that is taking place. George. Our next show is going to be January 28th. We're going to have some new games and uh, possibly a guest or maybe it's just the three of us. But either way, we're going to have a little fun. So see you guys January 28th. All right. Now we're going to go ahead and round out this show. I want to say thank you so much to all of our listeners. Thank you to George. Thank you to Mary Best. Thank you to our designer, Amanda Zeller. And thank you to Alan Takid, Nate88, and Kazo Oslo for our theme song. Please, everybody, be safe and stay healthy. And I guess uh, a new center for 2022 is um, try to get boosted if we can. And the governor just supported to go cocktails. It's not a thing yet. Okay? So just don't ask for him yet. <laughs> <laughs> Watch the news, okay? <laughs> <laughs>